Well, good morning. It was about 20 years ago, I got a phone call. I was sitting in my office, and one of my jobs at the time, I was human resources, and I did employee relations and employee discipline, and I got a call from a manager at a property. We did apartment complexes, and the property manager calls me and says, I need to fire our maintenance man. I said, okay, that's a kind of a normal call. I said, well, what was the deal? He said, he has been stealing cookies. Been stealing cookies. Well, that doesn't really sound like a fireable offense, and that's one of the reasons that I was there in place, because human resources, while we kind of uh, would would get on your nerves and kind of be a roadblock in, in some things, we also try to make sure that we stop just strange firings. I said, really? Well, tell me a little bit more about this. She says, he's the cookie monster. That's what we call him around here said, okay, well, let's get into the story a little bit. And that's one of my jobs is I was trying to find out, do a little interrogation, try to try to question what exactly happened. What's going on? Why would stealing cookies be something that would be a fireable offense? And I find out that one of the things that this property does is when people come to look at apartment buildings, they have these Otis Spunkmeyer cookie makers. Have you seen some of those? Uh, and so it sounds really nice. I wish we had it at, at, uh, in our office. They make fresh made cookies and they would give it to those that were looking for apartments and it was a nice little treat for them. But you can't give out fresh made cookies if the cookie monster is taking all the cookies. And my mindset was, well, you just tell him, all right, stop doing that. Stop taking the cookies and let him know that's for the guests. I said, well, we've been doing that. But it's more than then that he's just the cookie monster. He goes in the kitchen and he gets in the people's food and he starts taking people's pizza or people's lunch. The cookie monster is not just a cookie monster, but he is stealing all sorts of food. And there was pizza that was delivered the day before. And the staff had it, and he went in after it was all done, and he took some pizza. Still not a fireable offense, I wouldn't think. But they said, you're a cookie monster. And he got him mad, and he got really aggressive. And he was following the property manager out, and he was being uh, physically aggressive with her and was threatening her. And so then we had a different story, right? It wasn't that he's just the cookie monster, but he was aggressive and he was being a little overly aggressive with this person you see sometimes it helps to do a little bit of questioning to find out a little bit about what exactly is going on and that's where we are in the book of john today they're finding out who jesus really is now the difference between this interrogation of the cookie monster and what it happens with jesus is they already know what they want They've been ready for a long time. They've been ready to convict Jesus of some sort of some sort of uh, some sort of area where he's broken their law so that they can condemn him to death. Jesus has not been given a fair trial. He's not been given good questioning, but that's where they are. And so, matter of fact, last week we talked about how he was with Annas, Annas and then he sent him off to the high priest Caiaphas. And John doesn't talk about what happens to, with him and Caiaphas, but Mark does. In Mark chapter 14, verse 61, it says, The high priest asked him, 
Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in his place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing and show, to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they cried out. He deserves to die. For two years, they've been waiting to have something, something that they can, they can put on Jesus, and they are saying he is committing blasphemy right here. And the penalty of blasphemy means he needs to die. He's guilty, they say. However, they don't want to hand out the death. They want someone else to do it. They have a guilty verdict. They've done the questioning. They've done the interrogation. And now they need to go to someone that will administer what they think is their justice. So they bring him to Pilate. And Pilate doesn't typically live in Jerusalem, but he is in Jerusalem because it is the Passover. And any time they had these feasts, had these celebrations, that's when tensions are a little high. And so, so Pilate comes from his, where, he, where he normally rules, and he goes down to Jerusalem. And he's watching what's been happening in Jerusalem. And he's watched what's been happening the last week and what he's probably seen as Jesus came in earlier in the week in this triumphal entry, if we remember, from several weeks ago. He comes in and people are shouting, Hosanna in the highest. They've been calling him the king. And now he's seeing this same man brought to him, bounded beaten up and Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this Pilate is there for a couple of reasons Pilate wants to make sure that he gets his tax money for the Roman government and he wants to make sure that there's civil rest in there to make sure that they don't have to spend more money to bring in more soldiers so that's Pilate's job he doesn't want anything to do with these religious matters. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. He wants to have his hands cleaned and stand back and not do any of it. But that's not how life works with our Lord. We don't just get to sit on the fence of if we're going to support Jesus or not support Jesus. There's nothing lukewarm in there. We either fully follow him or we fully deny him. And this is what Pilate's going to find out. In verse 28 of John chapter 18, it says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. One of the things that John likes to do as he writes his gospel, show the irony, especially the irony of the religious people that want to make sure that in this situation, they don't, wanna, they don't want to be religiously unclean by going into a Gentile's house, but they want to commit murder. Do you see a little bit of an irony there? 
They want to make sure that they can celebrate the Passover. So they don't want to be unclean by going into someone's house that they don't, they don't look like or they don't sound like or have a different religion. But they were willing to murder a man. And so often we make similar, we live this life, this life similar, similarly. We make sure that we show up to church or serve in certain ways. But in other ways, we leave this place and our hearts are still hard to those we're supposed to love. We don't worship our God outside of these walls like we worship Him in here sometimes. And John is wanting us to see how crazy that is. Just like they want to murder a man, and yet they won't go into a place because it will make them not look good. John wants our lives to be transformed. He wants our hearts to be transformed, not just so we can come in here and sit here and make sure we get a check mark that we were here at church today, but he wants our lives to change. He wants to be transformed by the love of God, by the love of our Savior. And so, Pilate comes out in verse 29 and asks them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate says, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And they say, We have no right to execute anyone. Like we said, Pilate wants just to be done with this. He doesn't want the blood of Jesus on his hand. He doesn't want to mess around with this other religion that he doesn't even follow. He wants nothing to do with it, and he's trying to just pass it back to them. But that's not how it works with Jesus. We've got to take a stand one way or the other. And the people are pushing it on Pilate. They want to kill him, but they want Pilate to do it. And Pilate also knows there's no doubt that something not right is happening. He's seen Jesus come in earlier that week. He's seen this incredible following that Jesus had. And he knows something's wrong with these, these uh, priests and these religious leaders. They don't normally just bring a man, one of their own, to him to administer some sort of justice. They don't like the Romans. They're not going to spend time uh, bringing one of their own to them. He knows that there's some envy that's happening with the religious leaders in Jesus. He knows there's something underhanded taking place and he just wants to be done with it. He knows a week ago, like it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. The Jews, only a week ago, were calling Jesus their king. And so now Pilate has to think, is he really a king? Is he really something that's going to be a threat to Rome? He doesn't seem like a king bound and beaten. But it's time for him to find out a little bit more information. It's time for him to interrogate Jesus a little bit. 
And so Pilate, in verse 29 says, or excuse me, in verse 33 says, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34 says, Is this your idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer to him is, Is this your idea? Your version might say, You said it. Probably the most uh, correct type of interpretation would be, Jesus would say, That's your term for it. Are you king of the Jews? Well, that's your term for it. Because Jesus is more than just a king. He's more than just this king of this, of this little territory that, that Rome is in control of. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so it's much more than what Pilate is, is assuming that Jesus is. And Jesus wants to know from Pilate, do you really want to know about me? Or are you just following a script from some sort of interrogation? Do you really want to know about me or are you just asking a question that you have to ask? Because I think if Pilate really wants to know who Jesus is, if he really wants to know if he's the king, Jesus is going to tell him all about who he is. Or is he just following some script? Well, Pilate answers Jesus, Am I a Jew? Your people and the chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Once again, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. He wants to know what the issue is. He wants to see, is he really this political threat? And I think right now he's seeing, doesn't sound like a big political threat. Doesn't sound like a threat of Rome. Sounds more like a philosopher of the time. Because Jesus is going to talk to him a little bit about what he's actually been here to do. He wants to know what Jesus' intentions are, and Jesus says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest but the Jewish, by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. He's looking to see who this Jesus is and if he is a threat. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then there would be a fight on your hands. But I'm not going fighting. I'm going to change hearts in a much different way. Pilate's idea of what a kingdom is and Jesus' idea of what a kingdom is is two totally different things. And sometimes our idea of what, what God's kingdom is is totally different than what God's kingdom is. A lot of times we think of kingdoms as actual territories, pieces of land, places that you can rule over. But God's kingdom is not on a piece of land. It's in our hearts. And we call God to rule over our lives in each and, every, uh, each and every aspect of our life. And we can live in one country or another country, and it doesn't really matter where we live, but we have to give allegiance to our God. And our God even tells us to follow the duties of, that we have as citizens of our country. But 
our allegiance is to our God. And people should have no question who our allegiance is to. We might be civil and we might do the duty of our country, but we have the allegiance to our God because He is our Lord. He is our King. And so Pilate looks at Jesus in verse 38 or verse 37. You are a king then, Pilate said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Or he says, you said it. That's your term for it. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You said... You're a king, he says. You say I'm a king. That's your way to say it. Let me tell you why I came into this world. I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. We live in this world where we don't know what truth is. This could be written no more perfectly uh, back then than it is for us today. Truth. Jesus wants us to live in this world and he wants us to follow the truth. Well, who is the truth? Jesus said several chapters ago, I am the, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We're called to turn to Jesus. If you want to know what true life is on this world, It's following our Lord. It's following our Savior. It's doing the will of our God. That is truth. I once took a philosophy class my freshman year um, in college, and I always thought it was so crazy because they would ask all these questions. Well, what is truth? Do we really exist? All these different things, and I think these are ridiculous questions because we know who the truth is. We don't have to live in this world filled with darkness And not know what the truth is because Jesus has come to shed light on that. He tells us what what sins are. He tells us what our responsibility is. That's to love and honor our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength. And he tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. This is truth. This is how we get through this life. And... Pilate answers Jesus, much like we also answer many times. In verse 38, what is truth? What is truth? It's so easy for us to make our own truth, right? So often our truth is whatever benefits us. We have these selfish truths in our life. And we do this with all aspects of our life. What is truth? Well, typically it's what benefits us, even if it's not really true. What is truth in my worship of God? Sometimes we make excuses for ourselves. We make new truths for why I don't worship God as much as I should. 
why I don't come to church, why I don't pray enough, why I don't read my Bible, why I'm able to be upset with this person or that person. What is truth? It's my own truth. Is God really saying this to me? Well, these are old scriptures that were written thousands of years ago. It doesn't apply to me. That's not my truth. But truth comes from the creator of this world, the creator of everything. He's created the truth and he's shown us how to live the truth. So easily, we're like Pilate who are about to turn their way, their face from Jesus. After he asked, what is truth? Jesus would have told him that, what truth was. Jesus says, everything, one that listens to me Everyone who wants to be on the side of the truth listens to me. That's where you find truth, but Pilate will turn from him. It says he went out again to the Jews where the Jews were gathered and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. What's truth? That Jesus is completely innocent. He goes to the people, I find no basis for a charge against this man. It doesn't appease the people. John doesn't write about this, but the other gospel writers write about this and says he sends him off to Herod because now he's hoping that Herod will take care of the situation. Well, Herod just mocks Jesus. He wants to see Jesus because he's heard about him, but he just wants to see Jesus do what he would think would be a magic trick. Jesus isn't appeasing Herod because Herod's not on the side of truth. Herod sends him back to Pilate, and now Pilate still is stuck with this man, and he has to make a decision. What is he going to do with him? The crowd's getting a little unruly. And Herod, or excuse me, and Pilate is now not living by his own truth. His, his power is to either acquit Jesus or sentence him to be executed. But he decides to listen to the truth of the crowd. In verse 39 it says, he starts off, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had been, been part of an uprising. They're asking for Pilate to give, him, give them someone that took up as a freedom fighter against Rome, an insurrectionist, what Pilate would have considered a terrorist. Who is this Barabbas? What's interesting is if you look at the word Barabbas, it's a combination of two words, Bar and Abba. Bar means son of, Abba means the father. And so the people that, that are calling, they say, give us the son of the father. And throughout John, we've seen this idea of light and darkness. Life and death. And every time we look at the light, it responds to Jesus and, and how we can get life through the light. The true son of the father. The son of God. Or we can go to the darkness in the shadows. And so often Jesus tells them that they're following their true father, Satan. So the son of the father is who they wanted, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, someone that takes away life, a murderer, an insurrectionist. 
And they have these two things that they can have. They can get a person that will try to free them from Rome or a person that will free them from their sins, free them from death, and give them life eternal. These are the two things that the people have a choice of. And these are the two things that we have a choice of every day when we choose how to live our life. Do we reach out to the Father, the Son of the Father, our Creator, the Son of God, to give us life, to teach us truth? Or do we reach out to Satan and sin and all the things that destroy Do we reach out to the path that leads to destruction? So often, we choose to take that path. Sometimes that's the path that seems easiest to us. When we get agitated, we take the path of anger. Or our ears open up to hear some gossip, and we take that path to ruin relationships through gossip. Or maybe it's this path of instant gratification in the desires of the flesh. We often take this path of the son of sin, the son of a destroyer. And Jesus wants us to take the path to him, the path that leads to life. In chapter 19, verse 1 says, Then Jesus took, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put them on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and looked to the the Jews gathered there. Look, I'm bringing bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. He finds no basis for a charge against him, and yet he compromises his his own views about a, 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 a sinless, an innocent man, he says, well, maybe if I just beat him a little bit, maybe that will appease them. And sometimes as Christians, that's what we do. Maybe we give in a little bit. Maybe we compromise our own beliefs, just like Pilate does. Maybe we compartmentalize where we worship our God. I'll serve God here on Sunday morning, but it's a different story when we leave these walls. I'll serve God a little bit with my family, but when I'm with certain friends, it just doesn't seem right. I'll follow the truth of my friends and maybe just not give in fully, but just a little bit. That's what Pilate does. Gives in just a little bit, flogs Jesus, has him beaten, just not killed, just maybe that will appease him. But we're not called to appease others. We're called to glorify our God. We're called to live by the truth. And it doesn't appease them. They're still holding strong. In verse 6 it says, As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back in the palace. And he brings Jesus in with him, and he says, where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate says? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Jesus isn't going to answer Pilate anymore. Why? Because Pilate already turned his face from him. Pilate doesn't want truth. Pilate wants an easy way out. He doesn't want to follow the truth, which will be kind of hard for him. Following the truth might mean that he's going to disappoint people. It might mean that he's going to disappoint his boss. It might mean that he could actually lose his position of power. But his job is to follow the law. He finds no basis for a charge against Jesus. And that it shows us over and over again how sinless Jesus was. There was nothing that Pilate could pin on Jesus. Jesus won't answer him. So Pilate acts as if he has power. He says, don't you realize that I have the power to free you? Don't you realize I have the power to execute you? And what does Jesus say? You'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Why is Jesus in this situation? There's a lot of sin going on here. But ultimately, why is Jesus here? Because he loves us. Jesus is being led like a lamb to the slaughter and he's silent. Why? Because he's wanting to fulfill his mission on this earth. He's wanting to make sure that we can be with him. He's wanting to pay the penalty for our sins. Why would he do that? He loves us. He has the ultimate power, but he wants to use his power to show his love for us, to die for us, to be the guiltless, sinless, pure sacrifice for us. There's nothing more that Pilate can do. And so, in verse 14, he takes Jesus back out to him, to the people. He says, Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asks. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then Pilate finally turned, handed him over to be crucified. Look how crazy this story gets. You have Pilate that's trying to deliver the king of the Jews to them. He's trying to give them their Messiah. This person that, that is their enemy is trying to say, here, take your Messiah. I don't want to do anything with him. I want you to have him. You can have your Messiah. And the Jewish people who want nothing more than to have Roman get out of there, they, what do they claim? We have no king but Caesar. They're calling their allegiance to Caesar, the, the king that they hate, the king that they want to get out of their life, out of their, their land. When we don't follow truth, everything turns upside down. We start messing around and we, we start, this world looks crazy. If you go and you look around this world and you think, what is going on in this world? It's that this world doesn't follow truth. We don't give our allegiance to God. We don't submit to his authority. We don't allow him to be king over our lives when we look to our own truth. 
And this is exactly what's happening with the people. And this is exactly why Jesus came. He came because there is a group of people, and it still happens now, that they don't understand what truth is. And they follow their own truth, and they sin. And we're a broken people. But he came so that we might be saved. He came and he gave himself as a sin-free offering. An innocent man died on the cross. Why? Because he was going to be raised from that death through the power of God. And all of us that commit our life to him, that commit our life to the truth, can be raised as well. And we can be forgiven of our sins and we can live life eternally. And it starts the moment we put our faith in him. The moment we die to ourselves and are raised with him. We can do that in baptism. We can, we can have our sins washed away in baptism and raised with him. Or maybe you've already done that and it's time for you to just return to the truth. Don't be like Pilate that when he hears about the truth goes and turns his face from Jesus. But be who we need to be and turn back to Jesus. And be a group of people that want to know what truth is. And the only way we can do that is by turning to him, listening to him, following him. If you need to turn to Jesus, you can do that today. You can be baptized into his name and you can be raised with him in his resurrection. Or if you need prayers of the church, please come while we stand and sing.